listeners, welcome to The Next Session. An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And if you don't know it by now, I'm Melissa Johns. Hey, hey there, there you go. You should know it by now. <laughs> Probably. Assuming you've listened to other episodes, then you would know it. That's Maybe this true. is your first episode. Hey, welcome. Welcome. Or welcome back. Thanks for starting <laughs> with episode this one and not episode the first one. <laughs> I do think it's improved. Oh, hell yeah. It's so Like the improved. podcast has improved since well, the first we, episode. We started recording this podcast in the kitchen. No, yeah. in the on our table. I haven't gone back and listened to it. Is the sound quality significantly it's different? It's terrible. With I think we had the Blue Yeti. We had the Blue Yeti mic. Between the just, two of us. We are just talking into it directly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, you hate that. Oh, it was bad. It was so bad. <laughs> so don't listen to episode one. This is a little better. It's our sound quality is improved. It should. You know, it's better. You know what? No one has complained recently, so that's, I'll take that's it. That's fair. Yeah, recently. <laughs> Until <laughs> like we, I get like that we were feedback. getting a, like a like a huge wall of complaints from the from the giant fan base. There, no. it was just oh my gosh! I can't tell you how many bags of letters bags we had. Letters ba- ba- full bags of our, letters that, to our imaginary that said, PO box. It said, "I really want to listen to more of this podcast, but the sound quality is just unbearable." I will tell you that the uh, the most responses I get are, your website should change, and I'm the one who can help you. Oh yeah, man. Spam, spam, There's spam, so spam, many spam, of those. spam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's people who have uh, Wix web- websites. Yeah, right. It's just like an open. It's an open invitation. Yeah, I'll come help you with your website. I used to get those all the time too. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Hey. What, whatever. 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 <laughs> uh, let's, this is, this let's, is my D and D of whatever. Whatever. <laughs> let's let's go to next session help. Let's, let's do that. Let's answer some questions. I, I like that. Let's do that. This question comes from D and D Bambi. Oh D and D Bambi. That makes me feel like you are a fresh doe in a meadow, tentatively taking steps towards your first dragon fight. Yeah, and your mother just died. Oh no! Don't, spoilers. <laughs> For the people who, who haven't seen DC, <laughs> haven't seen Bambi. Yeah, you never know. We haven't seen Bambi. I don't know why I said it like that. We haven't seen D and D. Some people um, might be like uh, from Friends, where uh, Phoebe never knew what happened to Bambi's mom because her mother would just stop the the tape. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So they might not know. It does happen right at the end, right? Yeah. It. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, and then he got. I haven't he, seen it in a really. He long grows time. up with the king of the forest, who we all think is his dad, but it's like never actually told that's his dad. I want to say, but it's his dad. And then um, he becomes the new king of the forest when he rescues his uh, lady friend from the fire. Fatine, I want to say her name is Fatine. I am going to show my ignorance here. I did not know Bambi was a boy. Are you kidding? No. He has antlers at the end of the movie. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I don't think I've seen that movie since, since like, being very, very small. And I remember being terrified because I'm sad because the mom dies. So uh, I, I believe you. I just I just had no idea. I just didn't even think of it. His girl, girlfriend, I suppose. His girlfriend's name was Feline, Feline. not Fatine. I was oh, thinking man. of- um, you were, so wildly close. <laughs> I think I was I was channeling um, Les Miserables. Les, les Miserables. I, I think I was channeling Les Mis, and I think that's Fatine, but this is Feline. Oh. There you go. Hey, D&D Bambi, thanks for asking your question. 
Thanks. We haven't gotten to the question. <laughs> We're just talking about your name and your movie's sake. Which is great. All right. Um, what bargain would the Raven Queen make to resurrect a player character follower, a PC follower? Mm. Um, so I killed my first PC last night. Three giant crocodile. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, luckily, I read a lot of forums and watched a lot of advice videos over the years to make sure it was handled well. And watched her listen to our podcast. Player character had a chance to have their eyes flicker open and utter any final words before drifting off to the afterlife. Then had a debrief with the player after the session, and she was totally fine with what happened. We spoke about her character, and I said, If she still wasn't ready to let go, we can certainly have a discussion about ways to bring him back, which she was definitely interested in as she felt his story wasn't finished yet. So, this is what I would love to get some advice and creative ideas for. Uh, the player character is a young hill dwarf cleric, level 7, to the Raven Queen. He is part of a group of four other level 7 players, uh, Oath of Glory Goliath Paladin, Arcane Trickster Halfling Rogue, and Eldritch Knight Tiefling Fighter. My goodness. Being a follower of the Raven Queen, we want to lean into this avenue and have him barter or beg for his life in exchange for some sort of sacrifice. The player really liked the idea of this. Our initial conversation floated ideas like losing big chunks of memories that helped define who he was, or being reincarnated and losing his identity of being a dwarf. Other friends also suggested having the Raven Queen trade his life for someone else he cared about, basically meaning that um, he'll come back to life, but the next time another player dies, he's not allowed to intervene and must let them die. If he does intervene and revives or re, uh, resurrects uh, another player, then the Raven Queen returns to snatch his soul back to the afterlife, effectively giving the player an option to sacrifice himself to save his friend if he wishes. What do you think about some of those ideas? And you have other creative ideas. I like some of these. You know, when when I have a player who wants to make a sacrifice, uh, or or you know, it, we we've talked about it as as it fits into the story. I really feel like I want to honor that sacrifice in a way that plays not just a storyline role for their character, but in a mechanical way. Now, when, when players make sacrifices through their character um, and all it is is storyline-based, that can be perfectly fine, but it requires that the game master now incorporate that as ongoing reminders constantly throughout the gameplay so you have you have a player who who you know sacrifices um something less meaningful like like their eye color and now their eyes are are blue instead of brown or whatever uh or turn white or which we did yeah which we did and which is fine but now the onus is on the the game master to remind them of that sacrifice in any particular moment unless the player is like really into it and and like you know, really driving, like, I'm going to get my eye color back or something like that. <laughs> like, like if they if the player drives that forward themselves, then that's great. The game master doesn't have to do all that heavy lifting and all that work. Whereas if, if the player's like, um, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, then the game master needs to either just accept that, like, it's going to be a small sacrifice, it's going to be this one-time thing, and then it's really never going to get brought up again. Or that the game master has to continue to bring it up as a part of the story or a part of people's reactions to you. You know, people meet you for the first time and they go, oh, you've made a great sacrifice before. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at your eyes, you know, knowing that, that that's what, what happened or, or, or are, 
you know, freaked out by it or something like that. Now, now the game master has to incorporate that in, which isn't, isn't bad. It's just requires that extra work on the game master's part to do that. Uh, some of the pieces here, like, you know, uh, losing, losing memory can maybe fall into that. Um, if the player isn't going to continue to bring that up or continue to use that to help shape the character, then it might just be kind of a one-off sacrifice that then never really gets brought back up again and never, never continues to play a role. And given the, the weight of this and, and the player's excitement in it, I would be tempted to say, I want to make a sacrifice that is uh, either a major physical change of your character, something that, that will make you stand out constantly. Um, whenever we are describing your character meeting somebody or whenever you're describing your character doing things, like this changes your mental image of what your character looks like. Oh, yeah. Like now um, I'll, I'll bring you back, but you must now be my walking billboard. Yeah. And suddenly you have a uh, raven's head. Yeah, or, or, or feathers all over you or mm -hmm. something. You're now like a dwarf raven creature. Uh, something physical like that, which may not have any you know, mechanical impact, although you could, you know, now you can, fe now you, you can feather fall, uh, because you now have wings instead of, instead oh, yeah. of arms you, or something like that. You can't like, fly. You can't fly, but, but you can slow your descent because of the, you can glide a little, uh, which might be a cool mechanical benefit and might come along with other challenges. Now you also collect shiny baubles. Oh, that's a good one. Um, and you can't help yourself. Like you see a shiny thing, you yeah. like have to steal it or you have to, you have to barter for it or you have to collect it. You're Abu from Aladdin. Right. You want all the shiny things. I mean, I feel like the possibilities are endless. What what you could do to help with your next session is have the Raven Queen say, I'll send you back, but I have some tasks for you to do at some point before or after your final death. Mm. And that means that you can basically kick the can down the road and when the timing is right, have the Raven Queen come in and say, now I need you to do this task for me. Or now you have to go on this fetch quest. Or this is, you know, this is what's going to happen now. Yeah, I think there's something really significant to the idea of, of the Raven Queen's only going to bring you back under the idea that she gets something out oh, of Oh, yeah, you are indebted to a god. Yeah, and way more than just your regular worship. This isn't just your regular sort of cleric, I get some powers because I continue to believe in you. No, 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 you've now made a pact. You've now made a... Uh, you know, a bonding with this, with the Raven Queen. And now you will do that bidding because if you don't, she will take you back. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I looked up the uh, Raven Queen. This this uh, description of the Raven Queen's personality comes from the Forgotten Realms wiki oh, page. I'm, I'm just looking at that. Yeah. So it says, the Raven Queen was obsessed with collecting and observing mementos and fragments of memories and essences. Many sages speculated that she was, in fact, insane believing her methods and behavior little more than aimless curiosity or a desperate attempt to prevent her fragile existence from fading into oblivion. Oh. Uh, others maintain that there was a cosmological function that was performed by the queen's actions as she purified souls by forcing mortals to deal with their fears and pains. It was believed that her true intentions were known only to the Lady of Pain. Ooh. So very interesting that there's maybe an opportunity here to say like she wants you collecting something and you don't know why, uh, or she wants you to to um, kill someone and you don't know why, or she wants you to um, uh, maybe go through difficult, painful experiences. Like there's something about you experiencing pain uh, or difficulty or, or 
fear that has something to do with with what she wants, the goals that she's trying to accomplish. Um, and there's an interesting opportunity here to, to paint it as like it's it's a greater mystery. Like you, she literally wants you to kill a shopkeeper in the middle of nowhere who seems to have no ties to anything. But her role here is is way more expansive and mysterious than than you would seem to know. Mm. Which which provides you a lot of opportunity to like really force the hand of the player. You know, whatever it is the Raven Queen wants them to do, they wouldn't have done without her doing this. Right. You know, it's something against their nature, something against their the character's nature to do this. Now the character has to make a choice. Do they do this thing that is against their nature or or do they not? knowing the Raven Queen will effectively kill them again. Right. Um, Final death. Right. And what's extra interesting about this is that, you know, the player died in this in this circumstance, the player, the character died, um, in this circumstance that was outside of their control. They didn't want it. Well, now they get to make a choice. And now their death, if they choose it, can be meaningful. Or they can, you know, potentially save the life of someone else that the Raven Queen is trying to to take, but they don't know what the consequences of that are. Along a similar line, um, I was reading about the Raven Queen abhors the undead as it goes against the natural order. Because, mm. you know, you're, you're dead or you're alive, but the undead are against the natural order in her eyes. So maybe she gives this cleric um, a second chance, extends their life for one year, and it can be extended... For each undead, they return to being dead. Mm. So basically now they are an undead killing machine to preserve their own life. Like that's the bargain. And if you don't have enough, then the the soul contract is rebuked or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a super interesting and idea. Their life can be gifted back in full like the contract will end if they kill a lich. Mm. Ooh. Oh, it gives them a great quest, right? Yeah, now um, they have to find a lich. And it can be something that happens in the in the you know future of the game. It doesn't have to be the sole campaign arc from mm-hmm. then on, but you can have that in the background as a goal for them. They have to keep killing undead to keep extending their life because otherwise they die in a year. Right. They have a date, their death date, or and they're also figuring out if there's a lich somewhere in the world they can go kill. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I like that a lot, and it gives a really clear like goal. For the yeah. for the player, you now have you now have a time limit, uh, and a and a something you need to go after, and that can be really great for for the whole group too. Because even though that's that's really focused on you know a single a single player character's storyline, it's super fun. You know the group gets to go out and kill some evil stuff, and you have one character who's really dependent on it, but everybody else has a good time going and hunting a lich. Oh. Like that's great. I can just imagine the guy being like, "I need the final blow." Yeah. I need the final blow on this undead. I need to be undead. the one who kills it. Yeah. Don't kill it. Wait, don't kill it. <laughs> He's just in the battle going like, no, wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. It only counts for the ones that he deals the final blow The final for. blow to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Especially as a cleric where their role might often be, I mean, they don't have to be, but might often be support and kind of hanging in the back. Maybe his weapon has hash marks every time an undead is killed. Mm. It like a magical hash mark so that you can keep track. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. You could also have like a little, like a uh, you now have a tattoo of an hourglass or something. Oh, and every time, every day a sand falls, basically. And then every time you kill an undead, 
one one sand goes back up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. one undead, one day. You get yeah. an extra day. Which is, you know, a lot of undead you need to kill in order to extend like a full year or something like that. Um, so that's still a very limited amount of time. You still kind of have to go after the lich because killing yeah. that many undead to continue to extend your life is really not viable. And it could be that we don't know the sand tattoo. We don't know what the conversion rate is. It could be a week. It could be a month. Sure. We don't know. More, more powerful undead. Maybe She's not going to tell you. Maybe get you more time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe a skeleton is one. Yeah, right. But you know, but, you know like a giant skeleton or something like that. Like, oh well, that's ten. That's oh, it's yeah. really big. Zombie know. is at least two, three, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> a vampire, <laughs> boy, that's like no, oh, that's like that's twenty five. Suddenly, maybe. <laughs> it's turned into a video game where everything is just points. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, uh, I, I like I like the idea. I'm I want to really emphasize D and D Bambi that you. I really appreciate having the debrief and the discussion with the player. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you handled it really well. Yeah, um, because I feel like it's just so brutal to have the character story end when you're not ready for it, especially due, due to some, you know, just unfortunate set of circumstances or roles or, or whatever the case may be. And your willingness to, to say, oh, hey, well, there's lots of ways that you can extend your character's life it makes it feel like the original decision to kill the character still stays it was still important and and the the weight of it that the world is dangerous and you can be killed still exists but that the player still gets to play the character that they really like um with some added you know flavor and added stuff to kind of keep them going which is really just a wonderful way to handle that so absolutely kudos to that Hey, we're going to move on to Ask a GM. Ooh, Ask a GM. Ask a GM comes from none other than the Black Ibis. It's the Black Ibis. Welcome back, Black Ibis. Black Ibis. (laughs) The Black Ibis says, how to handle the unknown contents of a bag of holding? Assuming your players aren't buying a mint off the rack bag of holding, how do you handle the bag at the time they find it? There could be gods know what in there. Now, I have never thought about that, and that is brilliant. That is a great idea. Uh, presumably, at some point, they'll stumble on the turn it inside out and everything tumbles out. But until then, what happens when they reach or look in the bag? Is it empty? Do they pull out a random item, or maybe only if they're trying for something in, in particular? My players are finding one tonight that has been used by a gremlin who has stashed all kinds of valuables in it. A gremlin or maybe a nilbog? Ah, nilbog. Uh, yeah. Uh, just not sure how exactly to slow drip the contents. How do you treat a bag of holding before the party knows its contents? Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. As I've said before, I didn't even think about this as a brilliant idea. Like, of course, this isn't a mint off the rack a bag of holding. They're, they're finding a bag of holding. So what is already in it? That's so cool. Um, you could look up so many different random loot tables and things like that. You know, I'm sure that if you can name it, there's a generator for it. So, like, you could find a D100 table for anything. Mm -hmm. And a loot D100 table, good or bad, might not be a bad way to go on a pinch. Yeah, I mean, I've used uh, random tables like this all over the place. I absolutely love them. Anytime there's, there's like, a chance for the players to see and recognize that all I'm doing is rolling on a random table... Um, they don't even need to see the table. They, I can say, I have a random table for this. 
and then I, you know, pull it up on my computer screen or, or pull it up on my, on my, behind my DM screen and I roll some dice and I go, here's what you found. It is so exciting for them. I like it better if you make them roll. I do like that. Yes. I, then that's, I, that's a good point. That's usually what I do um, is I'll say roll a D100 or if I've got a really, uh, at one point in time I had a D, I had a 10,000 entry uh, wild magic table. Oh my gosh. Um, so you roll four D10s. Uh, in order to to um, roll on that table with our t- with our player group, that would be like everyone roll a d10. Yeah, um, and then and then here's the random wild magic effect. But having you know uh, a table of stuff that you can roll on and you can go, here's what you find. It's a it's another kind of wild random thing is a ton of fun, and I love doing that. You're right that they might eventually turn it inside out and dump it all out. My first thought actually was, I wonder whether or not you could put something really interesting in there. You know, something that players, you you could kind of intentionally insert a couple of really maybe uh, interesting magical artifacts or powerful items or even just a really interesting quest item or something. You mean in between the moldy sandwich and the half a ping pong ball? And... Exactly, exactly. So, so then you've got, you know, a D100 table of a bunch of random junk. Um, and then you've also got this powerful artifact or a sending stone that connects you to somebody who's, who's still talking on the other end. Or uh, uh, I love the idea of something intelligent that talks to you in the instant that it gets tumbled out of the bag. Oh, no. This is another Uncle Mortimer, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I've been in here for forever. <laughs> oh, don't worry about me. I've just been enjoying the darkness. Um, yeah. Be... You look a little different than my other guy. <laughs> A genie's lamp would yeah. be would be pretty great. I feel like the the necklace of adaptation. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, some of our items that we've done. Just to, and just to go back to the Nilbog yeah. episode. So I I feel like there's there's a great opportunity for something like that, as well as the opportunity to maybe put in something that causes a lot of problems, like a a mimic or something like that. Um, you dump out the contents of the bag. Uh, and then one of the things is a small treasure chest, and it immediately opens up and starts eating all the other stuff. <laughs> the monster book of monsters. Yeah, which would be pretty fun. I think all of them are fun, and I, I honestly would probably, I would probably do the random table at the start, and I would play it by ear depending on how long it takes them to figure out that they can turn it inside out. Yeah. And dump out the contents. If they figure that out, I would be like, okay. You get 10 more items. Right. If they figured out right away, I would say, all right, you know, you're going to roll on the random table 10 times, and and those are the items you get. Whereas if it takes them a long time, then putting in a powerful item feels so much more uh, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like, we could have had this the whole time. Why didn't we just look in the bag? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, there's a Vorpal sword in there, and and it's just been in there the entire time. (laughs) You, You just never knew, and you never... Dumped out the contents. So. That sounds like, you know, from the end of Harry Potter when it, like, I just pulled a sword out of this hat. Yeah, It's right? like, oh, come on. Come on, really? <laughs> In there the whole time? But yeah, I'd, I'd probably go that that direction. Yeah, I, you really can't go wrong. I think this is fun, and it's not going to hurt. Switch it up, do some junk, and then do some sweet, sweet loot. Yeah. I, I think if you really wanted to put in the time, the Black Ibis, I think you could do... You could do like, you know, a really intentional make your own table 
uh, of what kinds of stuff would a goblin have or a nilbog have. Oh, yeah, like um, half a bag of marbles and then like a Band-Aid. And right. I'm just thinking about what's in my purse. Right. A wrench. <laughs> <laughs> like you could go through and make your own table or you could go through and, um, you know, uh, add a few entries that, that you think would be fun and then fill in the rest from another random table. There's a lot of options here, and it really kind of depends on whether or not you want there to be a real link back to the to the character, and how long do you think your char- your your players are actually gonna like sit down and fiddle with this thing? You know, you don't want to make an and you don't want to spend all the time making an entry of a hundred things that are all interesting goblin things, and then have your players pull one thing out and be like, oh, this is all junk or whatever. Well, well, whatever. I'm sure I'll I'll put other stuff in it. This is and all then junk. They stop. They stop looking through the bag. This is all junk. I I dumped the bag out. Well, yeah, which, which you know, here's 100 items that, that I already made up that, that now are the things that you find on the ground. Um, although, a long time to sit there and read off 100 items. I would just so. hand them the list. I'd be like, here you go. Yeah, yeah, right. Either way, I think that there's still a lot of fun to be had with it. I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Thank you, the Black Eye Biz. Let's move on to OK Box 7276. OK Box. Okay, it's, it's a box. An, it's an okay box. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Well, there's 7,275 other boxes. Yeah. But this one's just okay. This one's okay. Yeah. Okay, box says, what's your opinion on player characters that are mechanically of one class but played as another? Hmm. One of my players wants to play a character that is mechanically a cleric but would be flavored more like a monk in that he doesn't believe in a single deity that grants him powers, but more in a certain way of life and control over his emotions that would grant him those same abilities. So flavor-wise, instead of praying, he would meditate. And instead of channel divinity, he would channel the magical energy from within his own body and soul. I think it's a cool concept, but I'm not very experienced, and I'm unsure if that would cause any trouble in-game or be too rule-breaking. Hmm. Uh, this is a this is a great question, and I absolutely love it when players do this. I don't think there's anything wrong with with wanting to play a cleric flavored as a as a monk. And yes, there is an aspect to it that is you know a conversation about where do the powers, where do the magic powers come from, that I think is a worthwhile consideration to have, just for everybody to be on the same page of that. But ultimately, I you know monks exist, and they can do kind of magic y effectively stuff. Um, so why not, you know, a cleric that, that gets their powers more or less from the same place? So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I have, in fact, had, uh, not this specific scenario, but I've had, uh, you know, I had a player who, who played a um, super, super strong but kind of dumb uh, wizard. I had a player who played a, um, who was an orc barbarian but thought of themselves as a wizard uh, in a similar vein, uh, and what? so they constantly would like bash down a wall and be like magic. <laughs> <laughs> what about a gnome artificer inside uh, the body of a warforge? Yeah, um, that was a character that you played. It uh-huh. was a spectacular character that was a warforged, but wasn't actually a warforged. War-forged. It was a mechanical suit that a gnome, gnome artificer was functioning was was functionally a piloting. Um, but both of them were artificers, so you were. You were a warforged artificer from the outside, uh, but then... With the heart of a gnome. With the heart of a gnome. 
Uh, and it brought up lots of awesome moments. Like there was a great moment where they were we were going to like cross a river. Or oh something. yeah, they were like just cross the river and like throw us a rope. Don't, and don't I was you like, not need to breathe or whatever? I was like, <laughs> I'm afraid of water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you talked in a great robot voice the entire yeah. the entire time, and which, then, as it turns out, was just your gnome artificer assuming that Warforged talked, talked in like robot that. voices. And then um, there, you made me do all these checks at night because I would have to come out of the suit to like empty out my uh, uh unmentionables and yeah. things like that and and you would have like at and night repair it and stuff yeah like and that. people would be like why am i always doing perception checks adam and you'd be like oh, i don't know yeah <laughs> and and there was an assumption that you didn't sleep and stuff like that but of course you're a gnome you still have to sleep yeah. so you would still you would just come up with reasons for why your your warforged and character was, like really apparently needed to shut down about yeah. Yeah. something it was great it was a lot of fun and it created this i mean uh, one of the best parts was that nobody realized what was going on and the reveal was spectacular it was amazing <laughs> uh i think this kind of thing can be great to do i think it's awesome to have a player you know um commit to to finding a creative way to represent a, a character um and something along those lines in general i would say so long as the mechanics of the of the cleric class are still the main kind of mechanics that the player is following by. I don't see any problems that would be terribly great, you know, game breaking or anything like that. But how would you do like feats and things like that if they wanted to take a monk feat? I mean, there really aren't in fifth edition. Um, there's not a lot of feats that are class restricted specifically. Mm. Um, most of the time, if a feat is, has a restriction, it's it's a restriction like you have to be a magic user or something along those lines. And that wouldn't be much of a stretch to say, yes, very clearly you're using some kind of magic, even though the magic happens to come from within you. So that's where like the, the discussion of, of uh, is there, um, you know, what, where does your magic come from? What does that look like? Basically, it's their chi. Right, which is the same way the monk works, effectively. And there's all sorts of, you know, monk character subclasses and stuff that can, like, shoot fire out of their fists and stuff like that. It's it's definitely magic. Um, it just comes from a different source, which is perfectly fine. And they do that all over the case in, in D&D from all sorts of different classes. So there's really not much of a problem with the the source of the magic being one thing versus another thing. There are some questions that do come up, like um, there are uh, things that clerics can do, like divine, you know, asking your god for help or or directions or things like that. And you would need to have a, a conversation if the player ever wants to do that, of like where exactly does that information come from, so that you can better inform them of what kind of information they can actually get from that. Um, but it's not out of the question to say like the universe <laughs> the the wisdom you know the, the 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 overall wisdom of the universe is what's granting you this this insight um through deep meditation you're finding uh the universe answers you and it's not a specific god it's just like like insights throughout the, the world or whatever so i don't think any of that is all that much of a stretch to to be able to pull off for this okay i like it yeah uh, also it seems like a really fun character yeah, it's not just okay box, it's great box. Yeah, hey, way better than okay box. <laughs> Thanks, okay box. We're going to move on to use that spell. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Use that spell. Use that spell. Use um, that spell. This spell is called remote access. Ooh. 
Or as our daughter would call it, fromote access. Yeah, our daughter pronounces remote fromote. Intentionally. <laughs> yes, because because I keep asking her, what is it called? She goes, it's called fromote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yep. This is from Unearthed Arcana, uh, Modern Magic. It's a first level transmutation, techno magic. Ooh. I know. Casting time one, action range 120 feet, components V and S, duration 10 minutes. You can use any electronic device within range as if it were in your hands. This is not a telekinesis effect. Rather, this spell allows you to simulate a device's mechanical functions electronically. You are able to access only functions that a person using the device manually would be able to access. You can use remote access with only one device at a time. It's on the um, spell list, Sorcerer, Warlock, and Wizard. Hmm. It's not on the Artificer's spell list? <laughs> I'm just reading what it says. <laughs> of all the spells that feel like it should probably be on the Artificer's spell list, this seems like it would be very high up there. Yeah. What's kind of fun is, like, I want this in my life because of the many times that you can't find the remote and we have to turn off the TV, and I'm like, where is it? We can't find it. If I could just, like, do-do-do on my hand, done. Mm. Yeah, it does. You know, one interesting piece to it is that it doesn't uh, it doesn't specify you need to be able to see the device. No, you just Bluetooth connect to it, baby. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just so long as it's within a range of 120 feet, and it doesn't specify that if it's blocked by anything, that that would prevent it. So if you were on the other side of a door... An electronic code. With an code. electronic code of some kind, you could... And you knew that there was an electronic code on the other side of the door. You could use this spell and and punch in the code or or hack it or something. At like least that. try. You'd have yeah. access to it as if it were in front of you. Now, right. can you see what buttons you're pushing? I'd have to assume. I think if I was if I was uh, speculating the what the spell would look like, there would be like a little hologram of the Ring, of like the device that appears in front of you. You know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Now, say I use this spell without knowing. If there are devices around me, could, would I get a list? Would I get a, like, these are the devices in range? Hmm. I would probably say, so, again, I think this is interpretation up to the GM on this. Um, I'd probably say no. You have to know what device you are trying to access. Because otherwise this would be a get-out-of-trap-free card. Well, not just that, but also, like, it's it now becomes a detect device right. spell. Uh, um, and there might be a detect device spell already, but either way, like, I don't want to combine those both into one spell. I want to I wanna say, no, you have to know generally where it is, where the device is. Well, maybe not. You just have to know what the device is. Okay. I'd probably let the remote thing fly on this. So long as you know what the device is and it is, and it is within range. Then you can you can use this. Like, I know there's a bomb in this room. Yeah, and I know here's here's what the bomb device is. So I, again, I probably wouldn't say like I know there's a keypad or whatever somewhere. I'd probably be like you you have to have seen the device before. You have to know what it looks like. You've seen a a similar one in the past. Something along those lines. Okay, so you get like g generic dimensions. Yeah, um, I think so. I think I'd probably. Reinforce something like that. Although by rules as written, I'd, I'd probably say it doesn't specify no on that, which means maybe you can tell where where devices are. 
Right, because if you didn't know there were two remotes in the room and one turned off the, I don't know, laser field and the other one turned on the laser field, right. I don't know why I wouldn't do both. <laughs> it's still. just, it's just you, a single single button. It's unlabeled. You just <laughs> grabbed the wrong remote because yeah. you didn't know it was there. Yeah. But you would have to know which one you're trying to get. Yeah. You know, this is an interesting spell because, like, it says, says very specifically that it only works on electronic devices, of which in the D&D world, not a lot of those. I mean, it depends on what kind of campaign you're running. It's true. I guess if you're doing kind of a, um, you know, a spell jammer or, or you know, technomancer kind of campaign, then, then there might be a lot of these electronic devices kind of around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won't. You can't even operate like a catapult from from a distance uh, with this spell. No, but you could turn off someone's hearing aid. <laughs> that's that's true. And listen, there's a really old guard. He's on the other side of this. We want to sneak past him. We want to sneak past him. Turn off. His he hearing has aid. a hearing aid. He has no idea it's not working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. It's the perfect plan. <laughs> Flawless. Yeah. Well, it's a fun spell. You know what? It probably doesn't say whether or not it's on the um, Artificer's list because I think the Artificer's spell lists all come from other spellcasters. Oh, okay. So they're always wizard or, or sorcerer spells. I don't think the Artificer gets specific specific mentions on most spells. Well, super fun. I like it. It seems like a lot of fun if you're playing a campaign that's got electronic devices. Totally. You it'd should be use super this. fun for a character to have this. Yeah, I agree. That concludes this episode. Hey, there you go. Thanks for Another listening. episode. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for spending some time with us Thanks. in your ears. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks for not turning down your hearing aid. Yeah, there you go. We're turning it off due to some spell malfunction. <laughs> um, so you can contact us and submit your questions. Always love to hear that. Or submit your feedback if you want to complain about our audio quality or compliment us on it. Then you can do that by going to our website at nextsessionpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook at The Next Session and Instagram at Next Session Podcast. And please note, Ooh. I have run out of stickers at the moment. <gasps> I know. It's a tragedy. I'm working on it. But uh, if you haven't gotten a sticker, it's because I ran out of stickers and I'm lazy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we will order more stickers. And if you do submit a question and then you send us your address after we've answered the question on on, yes. on if the you podcast. S- send us your question and we answer it on on the podcast. We'll, we'll we'll reach out for your address so we can send you a sticker. If you want. If you want. It's pretty cool. You know, it's a sticker. Anyway, I'm Adam Johns and I'm Alyssa Johns. Tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. Goodbye.